Hello, and welcome to the Smart Karma Podcast. I'm Michael Tegos. Every week on the podcast, we share a presentation and discussion from our webinar Wednesdays, when we sit down with Smart Karma insight providers and selected experts from around the world to break down the key topics you care about in Asia's markets. You can find us wherever you listen to podcasts, including Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Pocket Casts, and so on. If you like what we do, consider leaving us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or your chosen podcast app, as this really helps more people discover the show. Thank you for being with us, and enjoy the episode. Good evening. Very warm welcome or good morning to all the participants on today's Smart Karma webinar. As our expert speaker today, we're really, really honored to have with us uh, Osbert Dang. Osbert will be discussing the outlook for China's solid waste treatment industry. Quite a niche topic, but a very important topic nonetheless. This is a core part of the work Osbert did in his recent Smart Karma original, which was titled China Environment Sector Deep Dive, Solid Waste Treatment. And there are some very specific reasons that Osbert will dig into on why the solid waste side of this is extremely important in the coming year. And for those of you who do not know Osbert well, uh, he's a very, very experienced analyst, at least 20 years looking at markets. And Osbert's focus has always been on Chinese transport, infrastructure, industrials, as well as utilities. He's been based in Shanghai since uh, 2003, and he's accumulated over 15 years of combined knowledge on Chinese markets. And I think very importantly, a whole host of contacts within Chinese corporates and government entities. I must also say Osbert looked at companies from a credit perspective during his stint at Moody. So uh, that makes Osbert's expertise really, really quite uh, unique. So Osbert, big welcome. Hello, everybody. Thanks very much for taking time to uh, join this webinar about the China environmental sector. Thank you, Sparkama, for hosting uh, this opportunity for me to talk about this sector as well. Thank you. No, thanks. As, as we're just waiting another couple of minutes for attendees to stream in, Smart Karma always helps clients who wish to undertake bespoke research requests or engage with any of our analysts at a much deeper level over specific ideas or more broadly around projects and portfolios. And for this, you can always contact your Smart Karma sales rep or your account manager, and they'll be able to explain how that's done. The last thing I would highlight is that I will take questions throughout the webinar. Uh, this will be a moderated session. We will get to these questions towards the end. And the first part of this webinar would be Oscar running us through a very brief presentation, which is broken into two parts. The first part is really setting the ground. You know, why is this particular sector important? I promise you there are some very, very specific reasons. And the second part of this webinar is going to be, how do we make money from it right here, right now? You know, what are some of the stocks that are positioned to really benefit and what makes them uh, compelling and actionable? So with that in mind, I'm going to pass it to Osbert. Osbert, over to you. Thank you very much. And then, uh, thanks again for joining this webinar. Over the next couple of uh, minutes, probably talking about like 20 minutes or so, I'm going to run through a couple of things about the China environmental sector. Firstly, I would highlight some of the key trends that is going to shape the industry. And then we also highlight uh, the key risks faced by the industry. And then we move on to have some discussion about the valuation 
And uh, lastly, uh, will be a brief highlight of some of the key stock picks that we have on this sector. We move on to the first slide that is actually one of the major drivers for the sector, uh, which we believe is going to happen over the next couple of years. Uh, it is the Chinese government's implementation of the solid waste pollution law. Um, in fact, this law was approved by the NPC, the National People's Congress, in May this year, and effective the 1st of September of this year. This is actually not the first version of the law. Before this one, actually, we have more than five previous versions. But this one is actually in the most comprehensive revision, which cover a lot of more important issues. We can see that um, in this solid waste pollution law, it highlights clearly that the local government will play a more active role in the control as well as treatment of solid waste. In fact, one thing we want to highlight is that in this law, it very clearly lay out what are the responsibility of the local government and the uh, how they treat and how they perform in the solid waste collection as well as the treatment is actually one of the KPI for the overall government performance. So that is actually getting more and more responsibility uh, lying on the local governments. And uh, we will see that uh, one major issue that raised in this, this law is the substantial increase in the penalty for violation as well as the illegal treatment of hazardous waste. And this is one thing that uh, we see that very important because if you look at the overall waste production uh, in China, over the last five years, the growth was about 4.4% in terms of the CAGR. This is actually accelerated from only 1.3% in terms of the CAGR over the previous uh, five years. So actually, it's quite significant acceleration. So the government needs to treat it and face this issue. And uh, that means that uh, with the substantial increase in penalty for violation, the waste producer are now more willing to pay the waste management and waste treatment fee. We expect that following the implementation of the law in the 1st of September, the local governments is likely to roll out more detailed policy as well as measures. So we do expect a lot of more active news flow to come over the, over the next 12 months. And then potentially, uh, that would also involve a revamp of the existing waste collection as well as treatment-free uh, treatment arrangements. Uh, note that one thing is that we see that the special purpose bond issued in the first five months of this year about 9% of them, or roughly about 200 billion RMB, are for the investment in ecological, environmental, and water projects. Although it is only around 9%, but it is already the fifth largest category uh, of usage of the proceeds from the special purpose bonds issued by the local government. So that is actually uh, reflecting a very significant portion of the overall proceeds. And so that also see that the significant emphasizes of the government on environmental protection. We also see that the waste producers are responsible for the waste treatment charges. And that means that potentially we would see the upside to the waste treatment pricing. And the government at the same time with the investment from the proceeds for the special purpose bond issue, uh, that may help to build out more infrastructure as well as facilities 
to do the waste management. So as a result, uh, the government as well as the um, overall waste treatment companies will get into a much closer cooperation with each other. So that was actually a very important as well as positive trend development under this solid waste pollution law. Understood. Osbert, uh, just sort of one, one or two very quick questions. So did I hear this right, that the law actually only went into effect uh, on the 1st of September. So we're literally just one month into it. Um, yes, correct. It is actually Im- implemented uh, starting only uh, in the 1st of September, uh, only one month. And we actually going to see potentially going into more detailed plan, like the 14th five-year plan. But the central government will have more detailed measure. Um, so that was actually something that we would be expecting in the next master plan of China. Got it. And could you maybe unpick the last bullet point a little bit more for me as well as the listeners, right? What makes you see upside to the pricing? Like, can you help me explain how the recent changes translate into higher pricing? Well, uh, what it means is that, first of all, the waste producers are actually responsible for the waste treatment charges. So previously, uh, waste treatment probably is going to be a lot of them being carried out by the government and that very much rely on the government budget. And so as you can see that the government budget has that kind of constraint. So uh, in that case, uh, basically, uh, the investment in overweight production, uh, weight treatment was actually quite relatively muted. But at the same time, with now, because of a lot of more like a violation, you got a much more significant penalty. And then it also lay out that the waste producer are responsible for the waste treatment charges. So in that case, if you are unable to treat your waste that you produce in a proper way, so that means that you will suffer from a significant penalty. So in that case, what it means is that uh, you will have the more willingness in terms of the paying a higher waste management fee or waste treatment fee so that to avoid that kind of violation as well as to paying the penalty. So that's why we see that the law actually helped to promote a potential increase in waste treatment pricing. Got it. Very clear. Thank you very much, Osbert. Yes, thank you. Um, the second trend was um, actually, I think everybody understand that uh, there will be, a, there is an increase in China's urbanization. We have seen that this is also a very important trend that is driving the overall waste treatment industry. This along with the overall development in China's e-commerce. Urbanization rate in China reached about 60.6% in 2019. That was a massive increase when compared with just 49 or well 50% in 2009. So what it means is that increase in urbanization actually is one of the major drivers for the solid wastes actually uh, production. Um, if you look at the interesting figure about the top five waste production provinces in China, they are actually the most economically developed ones. These, for example, including the top five are like Guangdong, Shandong, Jiangsu, Zhejiang, as well as Henan. These five provinces are the ones with the most significant waste production. And on aggregate, they are generating about 36% of the China's total solid waste. This also are the area that we see particularly a lot of actual express package uh, being delivered within these more economically developed areas. Uh, one interesting thing is that if we look at the express package growth rate, 
actually that reached about 30% CAGR between 2014 and 2019. And a lot of them actually generate quite significant waste. On the right-hand side of the um, slide, you can see that there we have a, a breakdown in the express delivery waste. Actually, express delivery is a major solid waste gen uh, generator. The express e-commerce express particularly is generating paper and plastic waste. Paper is accounting for the major portion. If you look at the breakdown, the corrugated boxes are accounting for about 44% of the total express delivery waste. And then the plastic materials are about 33.5% of the total. So that means that they are actually a major contributor for the express, uh, for the um, solid waste. In fact, what we see is that there are a lot of the plastic materials being we we in China. Sadly, what I'm doing is that every day I receive like five to ten different delivery express delivery package. My household is four people. Every day, on average, we can at least delivery of one two packages. There are a huge amount of this kind of uh, express delivery waste. Packaging is heavy, and also we see that a lot of plastic material, the plastic bags. Actually, you don't want to touch them at all. You they feel those so dusty. And then uh, one issue is that the plastic waste, actually, you don't know what are the very origin of this plastic they use in packaging. So they are actually something that may be actually harmful to the human body. So in that case, actually, that is something that we have to have an immediate treatment in terms of the solid waste that generated by express delivery. And going to the next thing about the COVID-19 in this year, and also have further raised the importance for the treatment of the medical waste. In fact, between 2013 and 2018, uh, medical waste in China grow by roughly about 49 to 50%, also a quite significant increase in terms of the volume. So this uh, mainly reflecting that urbanization, e-commerce, as well as development in terms of the medical sophistication, treatments of sophistication actually generate a lot of waste that the country need to uh, handle as well as properly treated. We'll then move on to the next uh, major driver. It is the rise in solid waste treatment capability that also help the overall development of the industry. Um, used to be uh, landfill account for a significant portion of the uh, waste treatment. That is back in 2008, about 82% of the waste are using landfill as a treatment, but only 52% in 2018, so the significant decline. Partly this is because of the lack of the landfill site and also concern about the safety issue as well as the secondary pollution issue. So this makes landfill as an increasingly less favorable treatment for the waste. While at the same time, incineration has surged from just around 15% in 2008 to 45% in 2018. If you look at this trend, Clearly, that over the next two years, we are likely to see incineration overtake landfill as the major treatment option that opt by the country. In fact, uh, incineration is now a more feasible mode given the improvement in the technology. Uh, and at the same time, it is also able to generate power as well as heat. So in that case, that is actually a win-win situation. So uh, that's why incineration has been gaining popularity in terms of the waste treatment methodology. 
insinuation is also particularly uh, able to be used following the domestic waste classification uh, started in China in September 2019 because that would help the differential handling of different types of waste. Uh, basically, they are divided into like four major types of waste under the classification that include uh, recycled product or recycled waste, toxic waste, solid waste, as well as those, you know, like the kitchen waste. So this is actually the four major type of waste classified nationally started in September 2019. Some of the profits like Guangdong actually moved ahead even earlier. The daily waste treatment capacity has also increased by over 182% over the last 10 years. We can see that going forward, uh, the growth will also be very significant. If we look at the growth in terms of the capacity, uh, where did it available? Uh, that is going to be grown by about a CAGR of 12% from 2019 up to 2022. So this is actually quite a steady increase in terms of the waste treatment capacity. The next trend that we are going to highlight is about the potential for industry consolidation. Uh, I was just going to yeah. ask you a very basic question, which, mm. you know, I, I, that came into my mind as I was reading this. I assume that setting up incineration capacity or even landfill for that matter is, is highly regulated and permit driven in China. Am I right in that? Um, well, yes. Uh, in fact, landfill is actually less, oh, to a certain extent, what we call it, less regulated. And the landfill business operated by the waste treatment company is actually uh, relatively uh, loosely controlled when compared with the incineration. Incineration, actually, you have to have uh, obtained actually much more extensive uh, government approval. Understood. And for hazardous and medical waste, again, that would be mostly an incineration type strategy. Uh, yes, correct. Most of them fall into incineration. Uh, as you can understand, the medical waste would be quite difficult to put into, into the landfill. Got it. Thank you very much. Uh, yes, uh, potential for industry consolidation, we see that is an important trend because the industry itself is quite interesting. It, it's quite fragmented. Uh, even the largest one in terms of the way through uh, energy treatment company, uh, China Everbright uh, Environment, uh, based on the 2019 capacity, is still only had just a market share of 11%. And the top 10 of these players only have a market share of 56%. And a lot of those smaller players on average have like four or five percent of market share. So that make it a very fragmented industry. And this is primarily as a result of the localized operations, uh, because uh, many of these uh, companies need extensive collaboration with the local governments. And some of the Asia company may have only just, for example, one geographical area focus. So these are relatively small with relatively lower return, and many companies are actually uh, not, in terms of the profitability, quite weak. So we see a lot of potential for industry consolidation. And at the same time, one possible trend is that because, as you can see, that the budget for the local government is quite tight now, you can see that uh, actually a lot of them may see potential to sell their current uh, owned by the government waste treatment operations to third-party operators because previously, due to government nature, uh, a lot of them are relatively inefficient, uh, generating low return, and uh, which I think the private enterprises as well as the listed company, they will have a lot of room to improve the efficiency and as a result, improve the return previously uh, for the project previously in the hand of the government. 
So that we see a potential for industry consolidation will be one of the way to bring up the overall return of the industry. And Osbert, do you notice local governments being shareholders in some of these companies as well? Um, not really a lot, but we do see some cases actually are happening. But I think as you can see that we do see that this year potentially the overall government budget is actually quite tight given the COVID-19 outbreak. So as a result, uh, what we see is that going to the, to the next 12 months, we will see actually this trend is going to be to accelerate. This is uh, what I believe is likely to be happening. Um, and then uh, last thing I want to highlight is the uh, favorable financial infrastructure. Particularly what I mean is that the government actually has been a promoting like the private, a public-private partnership, the PPP, as a popular arrangement for China's waste management and treatment projects. I don't go into the number in detail, but overall, we do see that a quite significant investment has been made through PPP in terms of this way to, way to WTE projects. And one thing that we see favorable to this project, uh, the government, are now promoting the securitization of infrastructure PPP projects as well as the government actually is promoting uh, infrastructure REIT, uh, which uh, we lay out in this year in terms of the number of reports that I have uh, already written on. That would allow some of the company that they have a lot of projects currently in operations, and they can allow data to, for this company to list as projects as REIT, uh, infrastructure REIT, to recycle their capital. Uh, while at the same time, this recycled capital can be used either to reduce the debt or to fund the investment in new projects. Note that uh, in the infrastructure REIT program that dropped by the NDRC and the CSRC actually solid waste and hazardous waste treatment industry are listed as one of the priority support industry for the REIT program. So we're actually going to see more and more companies to uh, move their project from, a, uh, from the operating level into the REIT. Uh, so in that case, that actually should be positive towards the overall company's valuation, financial position. And this will be an important positive development. Uh, so that very much are the key drivers uh, for the industry that I want to share. The next slide is going to be focusing on some of the key risks that we're going to face uh, in this industry. I'll just briefly highlight three. Um, the first one is that, um, as I mentioned, that the industry is uh, highly fragmented. So we do see that there's still competition in such a kind of industry. That gives you two numbers. Uh, if you look at the A-share company, the average uh, ROE of this uh, waste treatment company is only around 45%, 4 to 5%. Whereas for the Hong Kong companies, they are about 17 to 18%. Because a lot of the A-share company, as I mentioned earlier, they are relatively small in size as well as they are focusing in a single area that without a uh, overall synergy. So there is actually quite a heightened competition uh, given the fragmented industry, uh, one area that drive, uh, that as a result drive the low return of many companies uh, in the sector, particularly those A company, A share company. The second one is the change in on-grid tariff and subsidies. As you can see that uh, renewable energy, are uh, actually seeing a lot of uh, concern about the removal of the government subsidy. This is one development trend. We will see that very much that would be a risk that faced by the waste management company because the waste management company derived their revenue mostly from two parts. One is the waste treatment side, 
and the other one is the sale of electricity. So that sale of electricity part is actually depending on partly the subsidy, which is actually the, the rightmost two boxes uh, on the chart on the right-hand side. These are mostly the subsidy at the local government level as well as the central government level. And the last one is that the weak power demand due to economic slowdown. We have COVID-19 this year, and also global economies are still slowing down. Although we do see a pickup in terms of over trans, uh, export uh, momentum, but still there is a concern about the overall external demand that was uh, actually will have a potentially negative impact in terms of the power demand it may not be growing as far as before. So these are some high uh, key risks that we would likely to see the industry uh, facing. The last thing uh, in terms of the sector is the, in terms of the valuation. We just highlight uh, two things uh, that we want to show you is, uh, one is the relative valuation of all the companies covered in our smart term or regional uh, on a price to book versus ROE level uh, ratio. And the other one is the PE versus growth uh, ratio. Basically, uh, it is interesting that as we cover one of the A share in this sector, Wei Ming, uh, it is obviously because it is an A share, it has the highest valuation, both in terms of PP, ROE, and also PE to EPS, figure. Uh, but if you exclude the red line or we exclude the Wei Ming, only focusing on the trend line of the green one, that's basically only the four Hong Kong companies that we mentioned, none of them actually appear ex uh, especially uh, cheap or especially or particularly expensive. But uh, we can see that the campus environment is slightly more expensive on the price to book and ROE uh, ratio, but not really significant. Uh, but at the same time, if you look at the PE to EPS Kager, uh, look like that Conch Venture is a bit more pricey. But note that because the EPS growth is actually dragged down by a slower growth of the cement business when compared with the waste treatment business. Uh, note that if you look at the first half number, the cement business is growing at single digit level. But at the same time, the waste treatment business, actually the profit is growing at 30% level. So uh, this is one reason why Conch Venture appear to be more expensive when compared with its peer on the PE to uh, growth basis. But uh, going back to our conclusion, we still see that none of them really look particularly expensive or cheap relative to the peer. So along the same line, basically, we do see a lot of companies in terms of the uh, relative valuation within the sector are quite actually quite reasonable. And so I'll stop here for talking about the sector and then the next three slides on the uh, individual company that we uh, want to highlight. The first one is Canvas. Canvas and Fremantle. Uh, I think uh, instead of going into a lot of the details, I would probably just highlight a couple of things. The first one is that it is really a pure play on WTE and with a focus on Guangdong. Good capacity in terms of the pipeline. Very simple business model and portfolio, just basically generating uh, revenue from the waste to treatment, uh, waste uh, to energy business. Um, they also have very uh, good uh, strategic relationship with the strategic holder, shareholder like Shanghai Industrial, SIIC, as well as Baowu, the steel company, uh, the largest steel company in China. That is uh, basically a supportive for them to expand outside of their major homeland in uh, Guangdong. Guangdong roughly account for about the 50% of the capacity now. So going forward, we do see more room for them to expand outside of Guangdong. 
Pipeline-wise, uh, actually, if you look at the first half, they have uh, the capacity is going to, to grow by about 26% just in the second half of this year. So uh, that will see a very important contribution going into next year because when they have a full year, uh, completion of the project that finished in the uh, second half of 2020. So this is uh, one of the companies that we like most. The Probably the weakness about this name is that the key drawback is it is relatively high gearing. So that is actually one of the uh, characteristics of the industry because of the nature of the operations. Uh, we'll touch on it uh, later. Then we move on first to the second company that we want to highlight is Conch Venture. This company is actually quite unique because it is a pioneer in cement waste incineration solution in China. This is actually quite unmatched by other players. Uh, one thing we particularly like this company is that it is majority owned by the employees, 46%, uh, and the remaining stakes owned by Cornerstone investors. So it has reasonably good uh, corporate governance and uh, make sure that the uh, the shareholders and the management are actually aligned very aligned in terms of their interests. Very good pipeline. You see, at least growth rate is going to be around twelve percent for two thousand nineteen to two thousand twenty three, and the company has very strong track record in terms of adding new capacity. One last thing about Quant uh, Venture is that uh, it has very solid financial position. It is actually has the best financial position among the companies that we cover in the smart thermal or regional on the waste treatment sector. Uh, it is only have a nine, a 10.9% gearing. Uh, so they does not really have any cash core width. Uh, at the same time, they're generating an ROE of 22%. Uh, obviously, some of the reason is coming from the holding in Anhui Conch. Uh, the cement company. But uh, overall, if you look at this company, still it has a very short, solid financial position while at the same time generating a good ROE. Uh, lastly, we want to highlight is China Everbright Environment. This company uh, is a, has a number one position in the WTE industry in China. They have a national coverage uh, in the same time, it is unique in the sense that uh, it is the only company uh, within this sector that had the exposure to water treatment uh, as well as uh, green tech. But at the same time, because of these two businesses are holding through two listed companies, so uh, that is sadly that have resulted leading to the company more have a holding company nature uh, or characteristic. It also have quite solid project pipeline, which are uh, secure with the project in, con in construction as well as in preparation equals to about 77% of the current operating capacity at the um, end of first half. So also a very solid pipeline, but uh, it has a very high gearing. It has nearly 110% in terms of the gearing because the waste to energy business, uh, they have a long collection period of subsidy from the government. So this is one issue that result into the uh, leading to the more tight financial position of this name. So this is one thing that we need to alert uh, about and potentially there will be risk of a cash call, but uh, that will probably be more opportunistic because the valuation is still quite low now. So uh, we will see that uh, any upside in terms of share price may potentially lead to a, a cash call by the company as well. So this is one of the things we want to highlight. So uh, in terms of overall ranking, we would see the first one we like is Canvas and then followed by Conch Venture 
and then uh, China Enterprise uh, Environment. With I think campus uh, one of the shortcomings in terms of the business, in terms of the investment perspective, is relatively this name is smaller in size, and uh, also it has the secondary market liquidity is weaker when compared with the other two names. Um, so I think these are some um, high-level highlights of the sector. We do have a lot of further information in the Smart Commerce or Regional that we published uh, two months ago. So uh, I'll stop here to take um, any questions or any comments. Feel free to let me know uh, what you think about the report as well as the sector. Thanks very much. Thanks, Osbert. That was really good. So we've got a few questions. And I'll sort of begin in you know no particular order, but... I uh, would love to just get your crisp thoughts. So first is, I mean, the fundamentals are stacked up in, in favor of these companies, surely. I think the announcement of the new law shouldn't be, shouldn't be hidden from market participants. So why do you think stocks haven't really reacted? I mean, a lot of these companies are still underperformers. Today. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I understand it. So uh, I think uh, one of the major reasons is that obviously now we have a, very, uh, a lot of school performance uh, actually go focusing on the new economy stuff, tech or uh, like internet related stock and consumption related stock. Um, so that is actually one thing that uh, this make the companies uh, in the sector may not be as sexy. But I think fundamentally, we also have uh, one thing that is very interesting about this um, company. Many of them are operating in a BOT, build operate transfer model, which what it means is that the investment will be very heavy in the very beginning. And then the cash flow will be low because uh, many of projects are still in the construction stage. What the company can uh, get in terms of their booking of revenue from the construction, but actually they are not generating a lot of cash flow. You can see many of the companies having negative cash flow at the moment and that, that also restrain in terms of their overall dividend payment uh, payout and also have some kind of impact on their financial position because you can see that China Everbyte uh, environments, they have 110% gearing. Even the lower one, like Canvas, they're still talking about 72. So all this combination together, you can see that very much the factor about the cash flow as well as the uh, the high gearing uh, part of the concern that the market have on these companies. But I would say that as the more and more project complete, this is one thing that we see will be able to generate the cash flow, operating cash flow that can be fit into the financial position for the companies. And then that would be one area that would improve the overall financial position of the company. And secondly, as uh, we see that the new uh, solid waste pollution law only in place in the 1st of September. We do expect that more positive news, particularly in the area of like the pricing one, uh, is going to be kicked in over the next like 12 months or so, positive news flows, and that would actually start to reflect on the bottom line of the uh, companies, particularly is um, in, for example, the uh, overall potential for the companies to generate a higher dividend payout. So these are something that will be moving the industry going forward. Um, so uh, while they are underperforming now, I do believe uh, the reasons are justified, but that should be a change. Yeah. Got it. Makes sense. I think uh, for sectors like this, it can often take a while for them to re-rate as they, as they sort of exhibit that change in fundamentals and actual earnings. 
similar question, but slightly different. You know, have there been any corporate governance issues with these companies? I, I noticed for quite a few of them, major shareholders are still the founders. And and secondly, you know, for the SOEs in the middle, are they really commercially driven? I mean, we we tend to find a lot of SOEs never really focusing much on ROEs. But uh, how how do you view this? Well, yes, I think two things. For the first part of the question, and actually, like Canvas as well as Weiming, two companies are privately owned enterprises. They, what we have done is actually we look into the, for example, like the um, connected transaction that's actually quite limited between the company and the major shareholder. And, uh, and the major shareholders are normally not the suppliers or the customer for the company. And then... Like the case for campus, they do have a quite significant interest of the cornerstone and strategic shareholder, like Shanghai Industrial, holding about 17% second largest shareholder. They will kept a lot of check in the overall corporate governance. And so far, what we see is that actually no a lot of connected transaction, no corporate governance issue, actually, we notice on these two names. For Quant Venture, it's also, uh, we highlight probably a little bit uh, in our earlier discussion, the majority of the company is actually owned by the employees. And then they do have uh, strategic shareholder and cooperations like uh, CNBM, China National Building Materials. Though these are also keep the co- overall corporate governance in check. Um, so we do see that Quant Venture also do not have any corporate governance issue. For the um, SOEs, we are basically focusing on two names uh, in this sector, uh, China Everbright Environment, as well as China Everbright Green Tech. China Everbright as a group is actually a more commercially different group when compared with those centrally owned SOEs. They, for example, like China Everbright Limited, that are actually a diversified financial conglomerate or company, which basically are focusing on venture investment. And all the China enterprise group are basically not relying on the parent company or the state in terms of their overall project support as well as their daily operations. Uh, so they are actually very commercialized when compared with other centrally owned SOE. And the senior management all have stake as well as options in these um, two companies. They are red chips, uh, but not head share. Head share will have more difficulties in actually in realizing these uh, options. But uh, they are the red chips, uh, which have actually incorporated in Hong Kong uh, or uh, um, overseas. And they do have uh, more room actually to realize these options. And then the shareholders, uh, the, the senior management will have stake in these two co- uh, these two companies, uh, China Everbright Environment, China Everbright Green Tech. So that also align very much the interests for the management with the shareholder, with the minority shareholders. So uh, this is actually quite commercially mined companies. That's interesting, actually. Thanks for pointing that out. You know, you mentioned uh, in your answer just now about the partnership that Conch Venture has with CMBM for waste treatment. Have they ever utilized that partnership for waste treatment? Mm-hmm. Well, um, actually, they have cooperation with CNPM, China National Building Material. Um, actually, they have already, op- uh, I think, at least 10 to 15 projects are in cooperation with CNBM uh, using, for example, the CNBM's 
cement plant connection in order to carry out their waste management business. A lot of them are still currently in construction, but definitely this has been a major important partnership that actually will help to grow for the company's capacity as well as uh, profitability going forward. Note that uh, when we mentioned that um, the overall growth in terms of the secured capacity for corns going forward, uh, 12% between 2019 to 2023. Actually, I think about 20 to 30% of this capacity or growth increase are actually generated from partnership with CNBM. And so this is actually one area that is quite beneficial to the conch ventures future expansion. Understood. Thank you. I've got another follow-up question on conch ventures specifically. So there's there's sort of two uh, conjectures in the market at the moment. The first is that conch ventures might look to spin off and list its solid waste treatment business, and the second conjecture is that they might look to uh, list its waste to energy or waste to power gen business on the A share market. You know, what do you, what do you think about you know spinning off and having a listing on the A share uh, as a potential catalyst for Conch? Do you have any views around this or the timeline for such an event? Um, I don't have the exact timeline, but I think that is probably going to be like. 12 months and 24 months out from now. We do see that uh, because uh, a lot of business currency are still in the construction stage, but I would say it makes uh, uh, quite a lot of sense for them to list actually in the A-share market. First of all, we're talking about the valuation side. If you look at, as we mentioned earlier, Weiming, uh, actually that is the largest, Zhejiang Weiming is in Zhejiang province. It is already the largest A-share a waste to energy company in China, um, I'm sorry, uh, listed in the Asia, it is demanding like 20 times PE uh, in the Asia market. Whereas uh, for Conch Venture itself, it's trading at about seven times. And then uh, uh, Canvas or other Hong Kong listed waste to energy companies are low single digit. It makes a lot of sense for them to list the business in China for the valuation perspective. And at the same time, that it is probably the only more integrated in terms of geographically coverage in China when they listed in the Asia market, whereas uh, if they listed in the Hong Kong market, which I think Conch Venture is already itself uh, listed in Hong Kong, they do not have an Asia. So it makes more sense for them to do an Asia listing. That would uh, particularly uh, on the negative side, turning the company, the, the conch venture into more like a holding company because at the same time, you can see that most of the business after the listing of the waste to energy business, as well as the solid waste uh, business, and that they are holding the stake in Anhui Conch, it will very much like a holding company. And that would demand as a result to lead to a discount to uh, the, I think that the NAV, put it this way, um, or some of the part. But at the same time, you're talking about it can realize the underlying high valuation of the A share market. Uh, so that was actually balanced between the two factors. We're talking about the core business in uh, Conch now. Basically, they're trading at seven, eight times, but in the Asia market, they may even demand up to 20 times. So I think it is more likely and uh, more reasonable for them to actually list it in Asia than or spin off in Asia than in the Hong Kong market. 
Yep, that seems to make sense. Um, although I would I would assume that investors already perceive Contraventure as a holdco and apply a holdco discount. So I wonder if um, that's already priced in. At least the negative is already in place, mm-hmm. and there could be a potential re-rate of the asset with the, given the cross-border premium. Okay, maybe just a final two questions. One is. Uh, we've noticed a trend of privatization uh, when it comes to some of the listed energy companies uh, in Hong Kong, you know, Huajian Fuxin, Huanong Renewables, uh, Beijing Jinan, potentially, which, you know, and CGN, which got aborted and so forth. Could that also happen for uh, at least some of the smaller players? Or do you think maintaining the listing in Hong Kong makes sense? Well, uh, I would say that from purely from the number perspective, probably we're talking about it makes sense to do so because a lot of them are trading at below book. Sometimes you can see that from the valuation chart, many of them are in terms of the price to book multiple trading at below one time price to book. But at the same time, uh, the industry itself is actually quite interesting in the sense that financial position are high. Uh, at the same time, they're highly geared. And over the next couple of years, probably they're still going to put in a lot of capex to complete the project. So in this perspective, probably that is not a, uh, I think a near-term good timing in terms of the privatization because the, that will actually, first of all, reducing part of the secondary market fundraising alternative for the company. And then the second thing is that we also see that would add additional pressure for funding the capex at the parent company level. So uh, I would say that uh, privatization, I didn't see that despite the low valuation, didn't see that as uh, likely when compared with like a renewable energy company, while at the same time, the potential may be more focusing on the REIT issuance as a way to realize the underlying value. Understood. We should look forward to more securitization rather than privatization. That makes yes. sense. Perfect. Osbert, just a, a sort of a final question um, before we really thank you. If, if we were to give you a million dollars to invest today, uh, how would you invest across these three companies right here, right now? Well, I think I would actually, fundamentally, I like Canvas. Uh, but as I said, one of the constraints, or two of the constraints, exactly, it is relatively small, and uh, the liquidity is bad. While I would actually go for Conch, my, my second best pick uh, in terms of the fundamental, given that uh, it has really have that kind of technology that is can be leveraged on both the relationship with uh, Anhui Conch, and at the same time that uh, it has a solid financial position. And then I have a strong execution power. Uh, one thing I want to highlight is that uh, over the last couple of years, every year, in terms of new project, the extent of the security, securing new project, they every year they actually beat their own target. Uh, last three, four years. So we will see that they have a strong ability to source new project as well as executing this project. So we do say that combining, you know, the market factor as well as the fundamental factors, I would actually go for my my, my best pick will be like uh, China Conch. So you'd probably put the entire one buck into Conch Ventures right now. And maybe when China, when Everbright does an equity issuance, maybe take the placement as that reduces the gearing overhang. 
and canvassed, wait for it to become a little bit bigger and more liquid. Would that be right? Yes, correct. Yeah, that will be Fantastic. my feeling as well. Great. Thank you very much for helping me answer that and all the other questions as well. But I found it very, very helpful and useful, and I hope so did the other listeners. Thank you very much. Goodbye, everybody. That's it for this week. If you like this episode, please share it with your networks. Subscribe to the podcast feed so you don't miss an episode, and follow Smart Karma on your social media. We're Smart Karma everywhere. And of course, don't forget to visit smartkarma.com for truly independent, differentiated investment research. As always, thank you very much for listening, and see you next time.